Hello, and welcome to How I Made It Happen, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Elizabeth Ogabi. On this podcast, I speak to women who are entrepreneurs, innovators, and game changers. I dive deep into conversation with them to understand how they've taken their ideas and made them a reality. If you're new here, here's a little introduction about me. I'm the founder of For Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial thinking women. I'm also the author of the newly published book, Side Hustle in Progress, a practical guide to kickstarting your business. In this book, I share everything you need to know as you embark on your own journey of turning your ideas into reality. From how to get ideas to how to market your business, I cover it all. If you'd like to purchase a copy, the link is in the show notes and it can also be purchased at all bookstores. This week, I'm joined by Deja Ayodele, a fully qualified and insured aesthetician and the founder of Westroom Aesthetics, a skincare clinic for women of colour. She's also the founder of the award-winning Black Skin Directory, which connects people of colour to skincare brands and experts. She has over 10 years' experience in the aesthetics industry, and Deja is trained in everything from nails to advanced skincare. She's also a trustee for the Beauty Bat Trust and advises several boards, including the British Beauty Council, British Association of Beauty Therapy and Cosmetology, and lastly, the Aesthetic Medicine Journal. On November 25th of this year, she will publish her debut book, Black Skin, The Definitive Skincare Guide. The book investigates and celebrates the journey of black beauty through a historical and cultural lens, but also gives you the ultimate practical guide on how to care for black skin, from what makes the skin unique to how to set up an effective skincare routine, she covers it all. In today's conversation, Deja shares the journey of transitioning her career from finance to beauty and how she was able to build her personal brand as a beauty expert. Here is Deja Ayodele. At Westroom Aesthetics, we are a full-service skincare clinic, meaning that we do things from product recommendations to actual skincare treatments. And we help women, mainly um, our clientele is, we have a high black clientele, um, and we mainly help to control skin conditions like acne, be it an oilier skin type, a dry skin type, we help women have their healthiest skin. On Black Skin Directory, on the other hand, it's a platform. I would say it's like an online yellow pages that connects people of color. Um, started off being women of color, but people of color to expert skincare professionals. So whether that be they are looking for certain types of treatments like injectables, for example, you know, things like Botox or fillers to other types of skincare treatments. We have a directory, a list of practitioners that people can contact. Um, but we also do provide a lot of education as well in regards to skin conditions, care of certain types of skin conditions to enable people to self-educate about their own skin and, and to empower really people to take control and manage their skin themselves. Before we get into your career, I'd really like to know what your ambitions were growing up. Having known you for a short period of time, you're a very ambitious person, whether it be about your work or your life you know I know you've got a book coming out you put so much passion and drive into everything that you do and I'd love to know what were your ambitions when you were growing up I mean I I had I I didn't have a clear vision of what I wanted to be when I was growing up apart from um I wanted to be successful 
And when I think about it now, I guess I probably wanted to be a bit like my mum, who was like literally the boss. And I wanted to sort of mimic her, I guess. At one point, I remember when I was younger, I wanted to be cabin crew. We used to fly a lot when I was a child. And I always thought air hostesses, I know we don't use that term anymore, but in those days it was air hostesses. I just thought they were the most fabulous, most glamorous people ever. And I just wanted to be an air hostess. Same. Yeah, until I discovered I didn't actually really like flying. So I thought that's going to be an issue. However, from a very young age, I've always loved writing. And I, I remember being told by someone when I was about eight, oh, you should be a journalist. You 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 can recall facts so easily, so quickly. And I, and I always used to love English. I used to love creative writing at school. So I guess that's something I have taken on. I never thought of it as a career, though. Um, but I've always maintained that love of writing. And I guess it's not far-fetched that I've written a book uh, or that I've written for magazines or no matter what I've done, I've always kept on writing. And that's always been sort of just a part of my life. So there wasn't a, a clear vision. Um, and I know coming from a West African background, you know, it's like, you know, uh, from a very young age, you're, you're told you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. And I'm actually quite grateful that my mom was just very much like, you know, you, you can do whatever you want to do. And I've never felt that pressure to be in a certain career, like an accountant or anything like that. I've, I've always been left to explore what I want to find myself doing. And that's exactly what's happened. And before you joined the beauty industry, you also worked in um, financial services, right? Yeah, yeah. So what was it that called you to change careers and to transition into beauty? I mean, I never liked working in, in the city. I, I just thought there was more to life. I, I didn't like it at all, um, but it paid good money. And, you know, it's what everyone did, right? You, you finished uni and you got a job and there was you know, there's no such thing as career guidance as such or exploring different careers and finding out what you like or finding out what you don't like. Um, but anyway, I gave it a go. Um, I didn't like it. I was still indulging in my passions for the beauty industry. I also didn't even know that the beauty industry was a job. I didn't know that you could get work in it. I, I, I mean, it sounds ludicrous now because it's like, of course, people work in the industry. Who used to do your nails? Of course, they were working in the industry, right? But I didn't even know that, I guess... I didn't know it was a path open to me coming from the background. I, I come from a very highly academic family and highly academic. You know, I went to uni, I've got a degree, I've got a postgrad. So it's not, you know, doing a practical role for my career wasn't something I knew was open to me. And, and it sounds terrible because, of course, it's open to you. But I didn't. I didn't have any role models in this area, actually. I, I, I forged my space and created my space myself. I remember when I left my city job and um, a relative saying to me, oh, my God, I can't believe you're leaving such a good, well-paid job. And I was just like, in my head, there has to be more to life than this. It can't just be about waking up, going there, getting paid, screw face all day, because I literally was resting bitch face all day because I hated it. And you know when you have a lot of, you know when you have a lot of angst? And it's like, it's, they haven't done anything to you. These people did not do anything to you. But you just hate it so much. Like you walk in and you're already in a bad mood. Nobody's done anything to you, but you're just in a bad mood. And I was like, I can't live life like this. Um, and, you know, I, I constantly was involved in the beauty industry. I'd, I'd go off and do fashion shows and makeup and all that sort of stuff. And in the end, my boss was just like, look, how about we give you a long leave period? You know, I ended up doing her makeup for her wedding. 
because she oh, wow. knew she, even she knew how much <laughs> I didn't like being there and I and I did her makeup for her wedding because it was just um she could see that um she was like you're wasted here you're good and the thing is what was funny was I was good at my job I was very good at my job because I tend to like to be very good at everything I'm doing I was very good at my job I just didn't like it and I just thought there's, there's got to be more to life. Yeah. I mean, it's really good that your line manager noticed that and gave you the right advice in terms of how to move forward. Yeah. A large proportion of the UK workforce right now is trying to change careers. And I think it's something that a lot of people are fearful of because it's like, where do you start? So could you like share the process, how it was for you and the practical steps that you took? Oh, wow. I mean... I, I really didn't think things through properly. I mean, I was very young then. I was still in my early 20s. I didn't have responsibilities. So as in like, you know, home, kids and that sort of stuff. But one of the first things I was very aware of that is that I needed knowledge and I needed training in the area that I wanted to go into. And I needed a firm footing in that area. So one of the things I always used to do was do a lot of training. And I still do now. I do a lot of education now. So that I guess... If I was going to give anyone advice, I'd say making sure you have some qualifications in the area you want to go into and also a lot of work experience. I'm one of those people, I worked for free for a long time and yeah, work experience, being of service in that industry, being a sponge and learning as much as you can. I mean, when I think about it now, it's ludicrous, but I used to go, say, say I lived in East London at the time and they'd be like, there's this thing happening in West London can you go and assist this person and I'll literally be there maybe sharpening pencils for them to do someone's makeup I would go at my own cost I was never one of those people and I still am not one of those people like you've always got to pay me cash money because I I always look at the bigger picture what else do I stand to gain here and there's some things you stand to gain that money can never be a replacement for. Um, so I guess getting my qualifications and actually just literally immersing myself in the industry um, was fundamental and, and still is fundamental to to how I've grown in the industry. Um, simple things like making sure you have some money in the bank. So either through savings or baby, you have to accept that it's a grind period and it's grind time and you will maybe have to be doing the free work, but also maybe doing some other sort of job, maybe at night in a call center or, you know, I've been, I've, I've done all sorts of jobs. I've worked in, I've worked in a bakery. I've been a cleaner. I have done a mobile beauty, all of that to finance. And, and was this while me. you were setting up your business? So I'm not talking about 15 years ago, but whilst I was still learning, yes, whilst I was still learning and growing and knowing that I wasn't in a position to just like charge the prices I charge now for the work I do, not having an ego, basically. I know there's lots of people who'd be like, well, I'm used to earning a certain type of money. I'm used to having a 20 pound lunch every day. I'm used to, you know, it's like, well, if you really want to go into the career of your dreams, you're going to have to make sacrifices. And one of the things you actually sacrifice is your ego because ego can get in the way of you actually achieving in life. So yeah, I, I would say, yeah. Uh, that would be my, my top tips, qualifications and uh, experience. I think the approach to business nowadays is a little different. I think because of social media and people can now create their own platforms, some people are trying to cut corners 
cut the corners of having qualifications and cut the corners of actually trying to gain experience and just kind of launch their own pad, which is not good, which is not bad. I mean, but I'm just saying that the approach is slightly different for some. Yeah, it's, it's a completely different environment. I, I I think we have other tools now, but I I still think that fundamentally, especially in my kind of role where it is a person-to-person, human-to-human business, um, I do think that you can have a bigger platform as you want. You can create as many sort of virtual realities as you want. But when you work in a physical business face-to-face, that uh, qualification and experience is always going to trump any social media following or platform you have. So yeah, it's different. I mean, I remember, I remember when I signed up to Facebook, like, I mean, my husband, now husband, sending it to me saying, you'll sign up for this thing. We can share pictures. And I remember, doing, I remember doing it at work, actually. So obviously I was there at the inception and I've seen how it's changed and grown. And I think, you know, different eras, but um, fundamentally people buy from other people and you can have as much virtual reality as you want. But if you can't actually handle a face to face, you're going to struggle. And when it comes to establishing trust with potential clients, how have you positioned the West Room Aesthetics and yourself as a trusted expert? Well, number one, I toot my own horn quite a lot, especially when it comes to my qualifications. Um, I mean, and I share a lot of, I share a lot of my life, my professional life, not so much my family life, but I do share a lot of my professional life. So generally, if you follow me on Instagram, you tend to know when I've got exams coming up, you tend to know what I'm working on at any given time. I do share a lot of that journey. And I think that does inspire trust in people. I also keep uh, keep a very wide network in terms of other professionals I know so that if I can't do something for someone, I can always pass them on to someone else. I share a lot of knowledge. So generally you can look at my profile, for example, and you can pick up a lot of information and a lot of knowledge straight away. So those are some of the ways in which I, ha- you know, I, I position myself as as trustworthy. And also a lot of people have followed my journey um, over the last decade or more. So they're well aware. I wouldn't like to say I'm part of the fabric of the beauty industry, but I, I am one of the OGs. I, 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 we had, I was having this conversation with some friends the other day and I, I, and generally we were talking about you know, when we all first met and the first sort of original bloggers, beauty bloggers, and I'm part of that crew, um, which made me feel terribly like dated. But a lot of people have have known me from those days and, and watched my growth. And I think that makes people feel comfortable. Yeah, definitely. I think when people can relate or just see what the experience has been like, it always draws them in closer. Yeah. yeah. So when it came to actually setting up the clinic itself, um, what kind of business challenges did you face? Ah, oh, business challenges. Oh my gosh. The general, your eyes are bigger than your budget kind of challenges. <laughs> um, you want, you know, you want this, you want that, but you also have to be realistic in terms of things like return on income. Um, yes, you can go for this particular type of machine, but how quickly will it take you to realize your investment on it? So those challenges were key, were, were, were part of it. And making sure you were spending wisely was part of it. And the general level up that you need to when you are setting up a full service clinic in terms of just your knowledge, even things like around insurance and all the different types of insurance that you need um, when you're employing staff and having to take that kind of responsibility, the mental responsibility of being 
responsible for someone's monthly salary or, d- or different people's monthly salaries. Um, I think we underestimate how the nitty gritty payroll taxes, PAYE, I'm constantly arguing with my accountant. Why does this cost so much? You know, you know, even when it's down to paying PAYE, I'm always like, honestly, say something you can do about this. So that level up that the responsibility level up is crazy. I mean, we, we had budget to open our clinic. However, it was making sure it was spent properly and not on on what I call fripperies in terms of you're buying lots of nice things. Oh, it looks great. It looks nice in the clinic, but it's not actually bringing you any money back. It's trying to avoid that that particular pitfall and just keeping your eye on the money prize at all times. And in terms of the actual treatments themselves and even just your services, I believe that right now it's become quite high in demand and maybe because it's easily accessible now. Um, which is a good and a bad thing because I do think that young kids should not be allowed to get injectables and the likes. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, it's been easily accessible. So your services are now in demand. And before I started interviewing you, I asked you, how would you like to be addressed as a beauty therapist, a doctor or a aesthetician? So what does each one actually do and who is allowed to do what? Because the lines to me have become quite blurred. And yeah. now you see all types of people doing Botox or doing injectables and they're not actually qualified. Yeah. Well, the problem with the UK is that there's not, any, there's not a lot of regulation. So, you know, anybody can pick up a needle and actually do injectables. So as an esthetician, I mainly work on skin and I can do things like chemical peels, microneedling, uh, skin tightening um, treatments. I can do like things from your basic facial right up to an advanced deep chemical peel. I can do mesotherapy. Um, so there's a variety of things I can do. The one thing I cannot do, and I choose to not do it, is injectables. So of course, there's no regulation. If I decided tomorrow that I wanted to start offering Botox, I easily could offer Botox. However, that for me is a professional killer full stop. So that's not the road I want to go down. So as an aesthetician or a beauty therapist or a skin therapist, so long as you are not a nurse or a doctor or a dentist, you cannot or you should not be injecting anybody. So injectables, fillers, Botox, anything that involves putting a solution into an injection and then depositing it into someone's skin should only be done by those three categories of people of course there's cowboys out there because there's no regulation but that would be the main difference and even doctors and and aesthetic doctors cosmetic doctors in the main they tend not to even like doing chemical peels and all that sort of stuff because that involves a lot of skin management and it involves a lot of patience and working with individuals um whilst when it comes to things like your injectables it's much easier it's quick in out in out skin stuff takes months you, you're developing a relationship with someone over months. So you find that doctors like doing their injectables and they don't like doing skin. Skin therapists, aestheticians, we like doing skin, but we don't want to do injectables. Then you have that gray area in the middle of people who just look at it and go, there's money to be made. I don't care if I'm not qualified. I'm going to do it anyway. And why is the industry not heavily regulated? Because the government is a laissez-faire kind of government that leaves us to our own devices you know regulation costs a lot of time costs a lot of money someone's got to pay for it so generally you find that a lot lot of industries especially the beauty industry is self-regulated so we have and the problem with self-regulation is that we have various industry bodies here You, you have so many different and they don't all meet in the middle so therefore 
it's almost like divide and conquer to a certain extent. So the government gets away with not regulating us because it's like, oh, you've got all these different bodies, but the different bodies don't agree with each other. So therefore, the only person that suffers actually is the consumer. Um, and consumer information, consumer knowledge is very, very weak. A lot of consumers don't know that their beauty therapist should not be injecting their lips. And marketing, you know, beauty therapist comes out, puts a white coat on. You know, anybody can wear a white coat. You order them on Amazon, wear a white coat, look professional in some way. And most consumers don't even ask, what's your qualification? They just look at you and go, oh, they look the part. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I was referring to when I was saying that the lines have become so blurred. It seems like everybody and anybody is allowed to just put an injection in you. Um, And I think what you said is true. Consumers actually don't know. So for anyone listening... This is DJ giving you the knowledge on what to accept from doctors, aestheticians and beauty therapists. So you also sit on the board of the Beauty Back Trust. Could you share more about that and what your role is? So so the Beauty Back Trust, I am one of the trustees and our role is to support women mainly in the beauty industry, in their career growth and their development and to enable them to continue their business. But also we lobby for regulation, which is what we just spoke about. We lobby for regulation in order to protect consumers because what's really nice about Beauty Back Trust is that we have a very large consumer following. And so part of our role is also to educate consumers along the lines of things like if you're beauty therapist doesn't show you a medical degree, a dental degree, or a nursing degree, then they shouldn't be injecting you. So a lot of what we do is around educating consumers as well in order to protect them because there is no regulation that protects them. And one of the unique offerings of West Room Aesthetics is that you specialize in products and services for darker skin tones. And I know as a black woman that the industry in the past has rarely catered to me, though I do think it's slightly changing. Why did you decide to specialize for darker skin tones? And does this mean you only cater to them? No, it doesn't mean I only, you know, I only cater for, for black women or darker skin tones. We, a large part of our clientele is actually non-black. However, we are a destination for black women. And the reason for that is I'm well aware of the emotional anxiety and legwork that black women do in order to find a suitable skin place. And I wanted to take that legwork away. I think beauty is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be... Um, something that we should all be able to participate in equally and enjoy equally. But I found increasingly that my black clients didn't have didn't have that luxury. They were more worried and they would have more questions around things like, oh, is that really suitable for me? Oh, I wasn't 100 percent sure, you know, I, you know, is that for white people? Is that for white skin? And I really wanted to take that uh, anxiety away, I guess, um, and make and provide an environment for black women where they could be educated and feel more confident and empowered. So to further educate black women and the industry, you have a book coming out on November 25th of this year titled Black Skin, The Definitive Skincare Guide. What is your mission with this book? So it's it's twofold. So my book is completely centered on black women um, and educating them about their skin. And I guess you could call it a practical guide 
into things like, you know, cleansers, different skin conditions, different types of skin treatments. It's a very practical guide that you can refer to at any time. But also a massive part of the book is also about the history of the relationship between black women in the skincare industry and also blackness, the concept of blackness and beauty. Um, And that's a big part of the book. And that section in itself is suitable for anybody and everybody and it's really it's very educational for anyone who works in the beauty industry whether you work in the beauty industry as a therapist or whether you are a brand owner whether you work in PR it's integral to improving anyone's knowledge in the beauty industry so yes the book is very much centered on the experiences of black women but it's also an educational tool for everybody And it's a great opportunity for you to put your passion about writing into action, which is really good. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I didn't like necessarily find writing my book a laborious process at all. I actually quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge of it. And I enjoyed the learning because obviously I had to do a lot of learning and research as well whilst I was was trying to write. So um, I, I found that all you know, mildly relaxing in a way. And how did you get the book deal? So I had started, I I was probably on a path to self-publishing. I had had one experience with a publisher already that kind of went left. Um, So after that experience, I had tried to contact a few agents to see whether I could you know, get them to represent me and my book. There was a lot of rejection involved, you know, great concept, great idea. However, it's not going to go anywhere. We don't think their numbers are there. Publishers were not going to buy this and they're going to take it on board. So, you know, I I thought, okay, fair enough. I'll continue to pursue agents, but I'll also work on self-publishing and I'll just continue writing. So anyway, things came together and I met my current agents who loved it and wanted to back it 100%. Um, and they took it out to market, um, as in the publishing market, and it was snapped up. So it was actually a good thing that the first kind of offer, book deal offer, went left because um, it left me in a stronger position to be able to do the book now, because I think now is the best time a book like this could come out. And also, kind of strengthened my bargaining power in a way as well that's also a testament to the fact that things might not go right in the beginning but they will eventually go right yeah I mean as I always say keep the show on the road and eventually it'll be opening night I could easily have been like okay this deal has gone left so therefore I'm just going to stop and bury this and not think about it again but I just kept going um I I had all the faith in the world that something good would happen I didn't know what good would happen but I had all the faith in the world that I had a very important piece of work to do and something will happen and yeah it, it, it did happen and continues to happen well, congratulations again. And Thanks, how did you yeah. find the, the process of writing the book whilst also running your business? It was a bit challenging. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got, I've got two young children and I'm very lucky and fortunate that my husband is very hands-on and I would go off on like mini writing retreats and he would take over with everything to do with our home. So I wrote in spurts, basically. I'd go away maybe for about 
know, five to seven days at a time and write huge sections and then come back, you know, for another sort of few weeks. And then I'd go, go and do something off again. So that meant I wasn't taking too, too many big chunks out of my clinic time as well. So that's how I managed the process. I mean, it wasn't always easy. There was, you know, a lot of, you know, you're juggling things quite a lot, but I actually, I did that because also I wanted to get ahead of the schedule. So, you know, I handed in my first draft about three months before it was due because I knew that also because it was locked down and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to use all that time wisely too. So I made sure that I did a lot of the writing during those lockdown periods. Well, you're a very good author. I wish I could say I handed in my transcript three months before, but that was not my case. I just knew that um, because of lockdown, I had to use the lockdown times well, because once clinic opened again, it would be like literally all hands on deck. So, and I knew there wouldn't be time because when it came to editing, funny enough, we used to have a lot of clashes with um, we need your edits back by such and such a time. And I'd be like, well, I'm in clinic back to back for the next three weeks. So no, those dates are not going to work for me. So I always say to myself, imagine I hadn't actually done the first draft by then or whatever. And it's only now. So the editing actually, there was a lot of time clashes with the editing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I had the same experience because I was working full time at the time when I was also writing my book. So I can totally understand What are the resources such as books and podcasts that have really helped you on your journey of entrepreneurship? I guess. I mean, I'm mainly a a podcaster. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to um, a a lot of audio books as well. But I would say also one key thing for me has been mentors and having people in my corner who I could reach out to at any time. So who have lived experiences, especially in the area that I want to be based in. So for me, that was very important. That was very helpful. People who I could turn to and say, oh, I need a particular type of accountant, or I need to find out about a particular type of company structure who are business owners themselves. That was important because you can listen to as many podcasts and all that kind of stuff as you want, but you actually need people who have hands-on experience to kind of be like almost your board of advisors around you. And yeah, you can't bury your head in books or in headphones all the time. You've got to actually be out there in the world. So it's quite fortunate for me that I spent a lot of time developing a network, a face-to-face network. I find like with my staff, some of my staff are in their early to mid-20s and they really struggle with face-to-face stuff. They even struggle picking up the phone because they're not used to it. They're like send emails, they send text messages, you know. And when I'm at work, when I'm in clinic, I'm like, can I have the phone? I seem to call so-and-so. And they're like, oh, just send an email. And I'm like, why? Just five minutes on the phone, you get an answer. It's done and dusted. Um, so I spent a long time networking when I was younger. So that I honestly, I know someone for anything. If there's anything you like, if you say, oh, DJ, I need to know X. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, just hang on one sec. Hold on, caller. I know someone for that. I am that person. And that is such a brilliant thing to have. I know someone for everything. That is honestly the brilliant thing because I think when you start out in business you get stuck on so many things and not having anyone to ask questions to can be really hard and like you said you can read books you can listen to podcasts but having someone in your corner that has the lived experience is you know a star so rounding up with the last question could you share where we can buy your book and find out more about your business services 
So I'll start off with my book. My book is available at all major book outlets. So whether it be Amazon, Waterstones, W.A. Smith, also small independent retailers as well, um, like Afro Books, for example. Um, so my book is available everywhere. It is also a global release book. So in January, it's out in South Africa. It'll also be out in Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, America as well. Um, over the course of the next six months, we have different release dates for the different territories. So um, my book is, is basically available everywhere. I just love that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. There is no stone. I mean, I made sure I push like, because it, it wasn't something that was initially offered to me for my book to be available everywhere. I had to literally be like, but why? But why not? Like, what sort of, what, why? <laughs> why is this option not being given to me? And I was like, well, I want this option. And I just really, literally pushed and pushed really hard for it. In terms of Western Aesthetics, Western Aesthetics is literally westernaesthetics.com. Western Aesthetics also has an Instagram page, which is Western Aesthetics. Black Skin Directory, likewise, is blackskindirectory.com. Also has an Instagram page of the same name. I can be found at DJ underscore Ayodele. Best place to find me is Instagram. I literally consider Instagram my playground. It's where I go to hang out with friends and family because I actually do consider a lot of like all my followers almost friends and family because I never have disagreements on my page I never I'm not one of those pages people come and argue I don't tolerate it so it never happens but you can find me DJ underscore Idele on Instagram and I connect with generally everybody who wants to connect with me as well via Instagram I love it and I will put the pre-order link for Deja's book in the show notes for anyone that wants to get it. And Deja, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I can't wait to grab a copy of your book. Thank you so much for inviting me. That's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do follow, leave a review and a rating as it really helps others in discovering the podcast. And lastly, if you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, you can sign up for that at fourworkingladies.com. Thank you for listening. Hey!